This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Harsh Skarach, everyone, 5783. We're going to talk about Dustin Aviram's line, what they said, and what was wrong with what they said. It's in Parktes Zion, Pasuk Yudalit. The words they said was, Af lo el eretz zavas chalav duvash aviyosanu. Moshe Rabbeinu came to them. He wanted them to stop what they were doing, to leave Adas Korach, and to be better, you know, better than what they were doing. And they said, not even to a land flowing with milk and honey have you brought us. You didn't bring us anywhere special. It's not like you brought us anywhere that's special. Vatitin lenu nachla sadevakerem. Have you even given us a field that's filled with, you know, fields and vineyards and everything like that? You haven't given us that inheritance. Even if you would blind the eyes of those men, and that's going to be a little bit of a question, what exactly does it mean, blinding the eyes of those men? Even if you would do that, we will not go up. Do you mind grabbing some chairs from inside, from the Ezra's Nashim? Just grab from the Ezra's Nashim, okay? Yeah. We're not going to go up. We will not go anywhere. We're not going anywhere, said Dustin Abir, and we're not going to listen whatsoever. Now, obviously, they were upset. Rashi says that they claimed that Moshe Benoit promised them the world and had given them absolutely nothing, right? You told us that you're going to bring us to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's what you told us, right? And you never delivered, they told them. They, you never delivered. We never got that. Instead, you're causing all of us to die in the desert, right, due to the Miraglam itself. How much worse could it possibly get, they thought? And obviously, it was going to get a lot worse. <laughs> Probably way, way worse than what they imagined, but it's going to get a lot worse when it comes to that. Ravigdor Miller says, you can understand their disappointment. I want you to think about what their disappointment was like over here. Right? Who wouldn't be? They imagined, they thought to themselves, their thought process was that they would be walking into Eretz Yisrael in a few days. That just a few days from now, everything was going to be okay, and they were going to have everything they needed. And instead, what was happening... They had nothing. Not only were they not going in, they weren't going in for the next 39 years. Not only not going in now, but you have to sit in the midbar for the next 39 years. You have to be in a desert with absolutely nothing for 39 years. Of course they were upset, says Rigdor Miller. But that doesn't give them carte blanche to do what they did. Obviously, that's the problem. The Megalia Mukos says that there are four people in Tanakh that start off their sentences with the word af. One of them is here with Dustin and Aviram. The other one is the snake, the Nachash, Afkio Marlokim, right? That's obviously the Nachash Akadmoni. Haman said the word Af, and the baker when speaking to Yosef at Tzadik. There happens to be two others, and that is Eov, right? Eov is one of them, and Jonas and Ben Shol, Jonas and Ben Shol when he was trying to fight. But both of them have no shaykhis to something bad. Those four people, however, who said the word Af, are clearly showing how evil they are. That they're starting off with this idea, like, do you think it's justice? You have to know exactly what happened over here. Let me tell you what they did or what was going on over here. That's what they were saying. That's the Megalomukos over here. That Dustin Abiram had zero good intentions over here. Now, the Sforno says that the worst part to them is that Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them mitzvos about Eretz Yisrael and then telling them, but you're not going to Eretz Yisrael. He told them the mitzvah of peah, which is leaving the corner of your field for the poor to be able to take. He told them about peret and shichacha, different things that have to do with the land. And they were upset because they were like, look, we're not going in. Why are you telling us these halachos? That got them more upset than anything else. Had it just been like, okay, we're not going there, so that's one thing. But telling us and forcing us to tell, to learn about these types of halachos and not giving us the opportunity to do them, that's just not fair. Dave, yeah. 
Exactly, but maybe they were repeating something. I mean, according to this idea of the Sforno, it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu was going over certain mitzvahs with them, even after they knew about the Meraglim, and saying, all right, let's chazer hilchos peah, let's chazer hilchos leket shichra, whatever it is, right, that they were learning about, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they said, but we're not going in, mm-hmm. and it was teasing them. That's the idea. The Ksaba Kabbalah, the Miamloes, they all say that. The Shachara Torah says, even hinted to in the Pusik. Look at the Pusik again, for those that have the Chumash or the sheets in front of them. It says, you did not bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then you've given us a field and inheritance of fields and vineyards. Here's the problem. Obviously, it should be low titen lanu. You're not going to give us this field. Why is it in positive form? And the answer is that that's exactly what Dustin and Virum were saying. We're not going in. And you're acting like you are going to give us these fields. You're telling us halachos as if we're going in. That's not fair, Akadosh Baruch Hu. That's not fair, right? That's what Dustin Aviram were saying. Don't do it that way. And that's why it specifically says vati ten lanu in a, I guess you could say a positive way. It's ridiculous, they said. Why would you do that to us? And not only that, the Panach Raza says, they also knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was never going there to Israel. In Parshas Chukas, although technically... It could have happened earlier. We don't know. Eldad and Medad got up and they said, Moshe Mace, Moshe is going to die. Yoshua Machnes, Yoshua is going to bring them into Eretz Yisrael. They knew Moshe is not going in. So they looked over at Moshe and they're like, but, but it, this doesn't make any sense. You're telling us these Allah is going to Eretz Yisrael. You're not going to make it to Eretz Yisrael. You're not going to be there. Why? Why, Moshe? You know, you're telling us this as if it's up to you that you're the one who's doing this. He, they couldn't understand that. And that was the unfair part. Okay, all of that explains why Dustin and Abiram were upset Right? And why they had the right to be upset. There's certain things that they saw that they did not think made sense to them. They said to themselves, this, this, something's wrong. Something is wrong over here. What should we do about this? The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, is they were asking Moshe, did you give us a tremendous gift in which we're indebted to you from your kindness? There's nothing you've given us. You haven't done anything for us. In fact, you've hurt us by giving us these things that you, we think we're going to get and then not giving it to us. I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was cleaning out something in my basement and I found these baseball cards. And I found in my baseball cards, like all these things out there, I found a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Now, it was a rookie card from Don Russ. And I was super happy. Like, I think most of you know who Ken Griffey Jr. is. He's a great player. He was a great player. And he retired, I don't know, like 10 years ago, 15 years? I have absolutely no idea. This rookie card is from 1989. It was a 1989 rookie Don Russ card. And I was, su- I was like, oh my gosh, this could like pay for my kid's to get married. Like, I, I, I had no idea what I'm going to do with this. I had no idea that I had this, and I was super happy, super excited. And I went, and I looked it up, and like Beckett online, I don't know if anybody knows what Beckett is, but I looked it up online, 75 cents. <laughs> that was the value of the card. I was so angry, I was in a terrible mood for the rest of the day, right? And finally, my wife said to me, it would have been better if you didn't find the card. Right? Then now that you've found the card and you're in such a bad mood. And I'm like, yeah, but it already happened. <laughs> but 
either way, the line that she said was exactly perfect. Meaning, there's one thing to not have had the card in the first place. And that's one thing. Okay, I never knew about it. There's nothing there. But sometimes we get our hopes so high that when they get dashed, when they get destroyed, we're sitting there like, oh man, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. How could it be the worst thing ever happened to you? You didn't think it was going to happen in the first place. That's the problem. Those expectations, like the White Sox. If you have those expectations and then you see what happens, there's nothing better that can happen for all those White Sox fans. I'm really sorry, but you got to face reality at some point, and it's really bad. So either way, that's the concept. The concept is you go in with certain expectations. Don't. Don't. That's what every Cubs fan does every year. Don't go in with expectations, and then you don't have to worry about being disappointed, which you will be. The same thing with any other team in Chicago. You'll be fine, because there's zero expectations. What do you expect to do? Except for, I think, the WNBA. I think they win championships, but no one knows. <laughs> no one has any idea. I heard that there was a, a, what's it called? A parade that went down Chicago streets. No one knew. So, all right. They could win, I guess. There's definitely no expectations there. But then, what exactly was the wording? What exactly was their wording when they said, Even if you would blind our eyes, we're not going up. First of all, I translated that way, but that's not exactly the words, right? The eyes of those men, you blind, we're not going up. Who are those men? Who are those men that Dustin and Aviram were talking about? So I found, altogether, 12 answers to this question. I could really divide it up into 17 answers. But I'm going to put them together into 12, and I'm going to do most of them. I'm not going to do all of them, I don't think. But let's start off. Rashi and the Rabbeinu Bechai have the easiest answer. It's the way I really said it. Even if you would punish us, Moshe, even if you would punish us and say, well, if you don't go to Eretz soul, we're going to blind you. We're going to blind your eyes. Nonetheless, we're not going up. Even if you would try doing that to us, and Anashima aim is like third person, like even if you would blind these people over here, nonetheless, we're not going up. You can't do anything. You can't force us to go. That's number one. Number two, the Ibn Ezra says, is also referring to them, but it's a muscle of sorts. Do you think you can pull the wool over our eyes? Do you think you can blind us and just think that we'll go into Eretz Yisrael following everything you have to say? We don't trust you anymore, Moshe Rabbeinu. You keep telling us things, promising us things, and never delivering. So we don't trust you. We don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. So they're already in the desert. What are they suggesting? We're not going to go? We're going to wander the desert? No, let's just go now. What's the big deal? Let's just go right now. That's what Korach was really. If we're not going there, then let's go back to Eretz Yisrael. What are we sitting here in the desert for? Yes, we have the Nanya covered in the Be'er and the Mount. But that's their suggestion. We'll either go back to Mitzrayim or go to a civilized land. What's holding us back from going back to Eretz Yisrael? Because Hashem said we have to be punished? That's not fair. There's like a three-year-old. That's what they were thinking or what they were claiming to themselves. And then it went really into Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership position of if you're the leader and you're refusing to daven for us to go to Eretz Yisrael, then don't be the leader. Well, if somebody else be the leader, it doesn't have to be you. Somebody else should be in charge. That's really what the, the whole claim was. And I, I, there's a lot. Listen, Korach's Tainas are, are, are well up. I, I have a share on this. Just just in the Ikari Shonim, I have 24 answers for what Korach was claiming. But then you go into the Achronim and you get into everything that Korach was all about. It's similar to the Maraglim. There's so much going on in the very beginning of Korach. 
But that's that. Ibn Ezra, his idea is we're not going to fall for it. You could, you could try blinding us, in other words, like pulling the wool over our eyes, making us think that it's something else. We don't believe you. The Balaturim says something very, very similar. He says, do you think you can blind us and claim that you really did bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey? No, you didn't. Nobody thinks that way. You can't keep doing this. Clearly, you haven't done so. The Sforno, the Torah Mor, the Paneach Raza, the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, they just say, like, do you think you can blind all of the people of Korach, all 253 of us? Do you think all of us are blind? That's the idea. The idea is they're not speaking about they themselves, even if you would punish us. They're saying all the people around here, all the people in Klal Yisrael, you can't pull the wool over, over our eyes anymore. We're not blinded. We're not going to do that. We know that something's going on and we're starting a revolution right now. Number three, the Paneach Raza says that they claimed even a blind man can tell that you're lying. Even a blind man, even those who are blind would know that loan outlet, it's not worth going up because we don't believe you anymore. We don't think the land is worth it. We don't think there's anything good. And we don't think you're ever going to bring us to Eretz Canaan. So that's the third one. Number four, Deben Ezra then suggests that they may have been referring to the Zikanim. They said, you know, Moshe, you may have those elders in your pocket. Maybe you promised them a really good job and you blinded them by making them think that they're important and therefore they'll listen to you. Maybe you got all the senators and the House of Representatives and all the important people out there. But us, the people, you will never be able to do the same to us. We will never be convinced that what you're saying to us is true. We will never think that you're going to bring us to the right place. The Chidah says that the Zikanim, the Chachamim, are the eyes of the nation. They're the ones who tell everybody what to do. So if they're blinded because they're bribed or they think something good is happening for them, if that happens to them, then maybe, maybe that's going to be something that he does says even further, right? Maybe that idea of the blinding of the Zikanim would be a kapara for us. Look, God has his ways, Dustin Avirim told Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe you told us 39 years, but you know, good behavior, what happens when you have good behavior in jail? After a while, you just get released. Who knows, you know? So maybe if the Zikanim die, or they're blinded, and that's a kapara for the people, maybe they won't be allowed to go to Eretz Yisrael. Even then, says Dustin Aviram, we're not going. Even if somehow we find favor in the eyes of God, and there's a kapara that happens from the Zikanim, lo let we're not willing to go up whatsoever. The Chassam Sofrim says that they might have been making fun of the Moraglim when saying this. Like, they obviously were blind when they went through. Nonetheless, we will never go to that land, right? Even those Moraglim would have never been blinded, even if that never happened. Nonetheless, we're not going up. There's nine Latora says that their claim was that Moshe Rabbeinu kept the leadership for himself. His brother Aaron became obviously the second leader in charge and the great guy over there. And they were ignoring everybody else. So it's almost as if they were blinding the people and listening only to what they wanted to do. Denying God's hashkacha on the people. And that's that. That the opinions of the people didn't matter. You're blinded by your own I guess, I don't know, envy, your own kavod, they said to Moshe and Aaron, and you're not allowing all the people to speak anything out. You're not allowing them to say anything. And for that, they said, lo nale, we're never going to listen to you again. That's sort of like a combination of blinding the eyes of Moshe and Aaron and blinding the eyes of the people. Even if all of us are blind, even if all of us are not listened to, we're, even if something would happen, still lo nale. What's up, Dave? 
The problem is that the Chumash is in a vacuum. You know, like, it looks bad to us now because we're looking at it and Hashem is saying, yeah, that was a bad thing. I am sure that there were people then who looked at Korach and said what he's saying is making a lot of sense. I'm sure the people looked at the Maraglam, who all of them were great men. Korach is not a nobody, and the Maraglam were not nobodies. And they made good claims. And even though Moshe and Aaron told them, no, that's not the right thing, I am positive there were many, many people who were like, I don't know, I, I, you know, they, they do have a point. They do have a point. I think that's part of the problem with the Egel Azov. Even the Egel Azov was made to make sense at some point. Like, it did happen. Look, what happens not, I mean, not so far into the future, 490 years in the future, Yeruvim ben Avot convinces the people to make two golden calves and put one in Dun and one in Basel. That's crazy. Like, you read about it in the Chumash all the time. Yeruvim ben Avot was able to show them how, no, the golden calf was bad then, but it's good now. He's able to convince them of things. So I, I think you have certain people who have the ability to convince others that what they're doing is correct. So I hear you. I just think there's there's more to it than just, you know, than just that. So yes, whenever the people want something, it seems to go badly. But maybe it wouldn't happen this time. Maybe it wouldn't happen. That's that. The Chida also says, if you, if you were blind, Korach. I'm not going to go into that. Number seven. Targum Yonason says a great shot over here. He says, even if you were blind, those people in Eretz Canaan, meaning... Even if you go in and you blind them to the point where you'll easily be able to go in and defeat all of them, you'll take them all down, all the giants, all the people who live in Eretz Khan, even if you blind them all, nonetheless, we will not go in. Even if we're able to defeat them like that, which they did, obviously. Nonetheless, we're not going in. That's how Talking Medicine says, and the Rokeach mentions that as well. What's amazing is the Kliyakr. The Kliyakr says... That is literally exactly what happened. It's like Dustin and Abiram were Nevi'im. There was a hornet, the Tzira, the hornet that joined Klau Yisrael when they fought against Og and Sichon, and according to some Midrashim, either they were in Eretz or they spat poison across the river. Those who are doing Dafyomi, you learned about it in Sota. These hornets blinded the eyes of the Kenanim so that it was impossible for them to fight. It's a crazy Gemara. But this was correct. Dustin Abiram said, even if you would blind their eyes, we'll never go up because it doesn't matter to us. And that is literally what happened. Their eyes were blinded. There were people that went in, or I shouldn't say people, hornets that went in, took care of that for them, and nonetheless said, Dustin Abiram, it doesn't matter. Lo nale. We are not going up. We refuse to go up. Time to crow. Rav Chaim Knievsky says the exact same thing. I'm sure he knew the clay ucker. He just, he said it as well. That Ksav says a little bit different. Even if they do go blind, he says, even if they died right there in front of us, and the Maraglam saw that. The Maraglam came in and saw these giants falling like, like trees, all in front of them, one after the other after the other, all of these huge giants falling. That's why they came back and they said, it's Eretz Ocheles Yoshvahi. It's a land that consumes its inhabitants. Anybody that lives there dies. Nonetheless, we are not going in because God will find another reason to kick us out. God will find another reason why it's not going to work. Now, as a timeout, there is a famous Rebbe Victor Miller throughout Bamidbor where he says, never was the plan to go straight to Eretz Yisrael. It was not going to happen. They were not going to go to Eretz Yisrael. They had an opportunity to learn from the mouth of Moshe Rabbeinu for the next 39 years in a desert where they had no worries of Parnassah. They would have Mun, the Be'er, and the Anani Akavod. 
How could you not take advantage of that situation? Once you go to Eretz Yisrael, then everybody owns land. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to do this, that, and the other. You don't have time to go learn. So Hashem always was planning on giving them 39 years in the desert. It just could have been done in a good way, and it could have been done in a bad way. And B'nai Yisrael did it in a bad way with the Meraglim, but it could have been in a good way where they all said, wait a second, let's take advantage of this all together. And then the whole, I, I you say our history would be completely different. We would have gone into Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu, the base of Mikdash would have been rebuilt and everything would have been different. This is, that's where Victor Miller says, according to this idea that's very similar to what the Ksavah Kabbalah is saying, even if we were to go blind, or they were to go blind, I'm sorry, and even if they would all be destroyed on their own, Hashem would find another reason for us not to go in. Technically, they were also right. They were right. I mean, it's, I, I, Hashem would have realized, like, I, I want you guys to be in the desert for 39 more years. So that's Ashlamo, yeah. Even if they got there to right away, wouldn't that mean that Malcolm would have been not Saldiyah Possible, and maybe there would have been a different sin. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it's definitely possible. Maybe the Misonim still would have happened. Maybe the Isabu Taiva would have still happened. Who knows? Who knows what it would have been? Maybe there still would have been a Korach. Who knows what it would have been. But yes, I, I, I can't, we can't deal with what could have been. But Rav Victor says that was the idea from the first place. They were never meant to go straight to Eretz It was never really going to happen. Now, the Orachim HaKadosh, this is going to be our eighth answer. The Orachim HaKadosh says an unbelievable answer. They say, we would rather be blind than follow you into this land. They were so angry at Moshe Rabbeinu at this point. They hated him so much. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that saved them. Dustin Avirim, if you remember, they were the ones who were supposed to be children that were thrown into the sea. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, why are you causing these, these children to die by being thrown into the river? And Hashem said, you can pick one out if you want, right? You can pick a couple out, but you're going to see it's not going to be good for you. And he's like, all right. And he picked out two, and they were Dustin and Avirim, right? Those are the two. So even though he saved them, they hated Moshe so much. They said, even we would rather be blind, we'd rather be dead than follow you into this land. The Sfas MS wonders, he says, how is it possible that anybody could be this angry at a guy who had rays of light coming from his face? Right? There were carne hoed ever since Matan Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu was so shiny that he had to wear a mask so people didn't go blind when they looked at him. So how could you be mad at a guy like that? But that's shot, says the Sfas MS. Dustin and Avirim were so angry, they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take off your mask, we'd rather be blind and look at you than have to deal with your garbage from this point forward. They literally were willing to blind themselves, right, so they could argue with Moshe Rabbeinu literally face to face without the mask in front of his face. That's how angry they were and they couldn't deal with it. And he says, the Svasama says at the end, Rishayim, Afilu, like at that time when they're going into Gehenna, I won't say the whole line, even when they're ready to go to Gehenna, when they're sitting at the gates of Gehenna, they can't do tshuva. And I can tell you something, the Chavetz Chaim, I'm skipping a little bit on your sheets, but the Chavetz Chaim has an unbelievable marshal. He says, in a certain Russian city, there was an official that was in charge of all the births and the deaths and the marriages and the divorces and all the things that were going on in the city. Right? So the Chavetz Chaim says that this guy, this Russian officer, was in charge of everything. So there was a rule that anybody, you know, who turned a certain age, let's say it was 25 years old, everybody had to go to the army. I think the safer made a mistake. I think it was 18 years old and they went to the army for 25 years. But either way, right, anybody who turned a certain age, they had to go to the army. 
So obviously this guy had all the births, all the deaths, all the marriages, all the divorces, all, everything. He knew everybody in the area. So obviously, if you want to get your kid out of it, who do you go to? You go to this guy. You pay him off a little bit. You become really good friends with him. And he would forget that that guy was alive. Somehow a name would be erased or a death would be made even though it wasn't real. And that's that, right? And that's what he did for many of the people in the town. And most of these people were able to keep their children because this guy, right, kept allowing them because they were friends and everything. So one day, this guy got into a fight with his neighbor, right? And the neighbor was so angry. He comes home. He says to his wife, he's like, that's it. I'm going to the government. I'm going to tell them what this guy's doing. And they're going to hang him, right, for doing all these, for cheating and for taking bribes. They're going to hang him. And he's going to be dead. So his wife said to him, hold on a second, cowboy, right? I don't know if they had cowboys in Russia, but probably not. But uh, hold on a second, cowboy. Just calm down for a second. If you go and get that guy to jail, that means our kids are going where? Our kids are going straight to the army. She looks at her, he looks at her, and says, you know what? doesn't matter to me. I, I'll let my kids go to the army as long as that guy gets killed. She said, hold on a second. If your kids go to the army, then they're going to arrest you for lying to the government because you said you don't have any kids that are of that age. So you yourself are going to be killed. So he looks at her and he says, even if me, you, and all of my kids are killed, none of it matters as long as that guy dies. Now, obviously, that's crazy, right? But I guarantee you, you know a guy like this. There's no question that you know a person like this. When a person is super angry, you can't think straight. You don't make good decisions, and bad things happen. That is exactly what happened over here with Dustin and Aviram. According to this idea of the Orachayim HaKadosh and what he's saying, and the Sfas Emes, they were re- literally willing to die because they hated Moshe Rabbeinu so much. It didn't make any sense. Look at this guy. He's shining like a light. He takes off his mask, and you go blind. And they're like, yep. Doesn't matter. We want him down. We want to take him down right now. None of this matters to us. That's what happens out of hatred when you have a person with sin. Okay, there's a couple more. There's Balaturim. Maybe you could blind Hashem, they said. That's the, those are the men on Hashem. is really referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yalkuda Urim says, Every mitzvah sase connects to a certain part of the body. Tzitzis, that mitzvah connects with the eyes Obviously, Uriisimoso, that you're supposed to see it, etc. So that's why there were pogame in the midst of Tcheles, right? They said, like, let's say you have a beged that's full of Tcheles. Why do you have to put Tcheles strings on it? That was the idea. That was the random suggestion. That's what they said. Even if you would blind us, is a reference to that mitzvah of Tzitzis that they already ruined. And that's the idea of what they said exactly, why they got what they deserved. And then comes the Kliyakr. The Kliyakr makes a ton of sense. This is probably the answer that if I was given, like, what exactly were they thinking? All these make sense. They all go together. But this one is like, I totally hear it. Kliyakr says, Dustin of Yerim assumed when Moshe Rabbeinu came to them, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't walk over to Korach. He didn't walk to own Ben Pelis. He went to Dustin and Aviram, and he told them to calm down. So when Dustin of Yerim saw that, they assumed that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to offer them a really high position in the government. Hey, Dustin, Aviram, calm down a little bit. And if you calm down, you know, maybe I could find you a good position when we, you know, while we're in the midbar. Maybe I could do that. We all know, shoched, shochad, ya'aver ene pikrim. It blinds the eyes of the smart people who take it. So they said, 
we're not taking your bribe. Even if our eyes would be blinded, even if you're offering us the best bribe in the world, lo na we're not going to raise ourselves to the position that you want us to take. We refuse. We're not doing it. It has nothing to do with lo na not going to Eretz Yisrael. Lo na we're not allowing ourselves to take a job that you're bribing us with. We don't want it. That's that. We know you've offered bribes to other people, they said to Moshe Rabbeinu. We know you've given them positions of power that maybe they wanted, maybe they were involved with. No. Even if you blind the eyes of Anishimim, you offer us a position that we can't refuse, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. You can kill us if you want to. You can torture us if you want to. We will not go up and be blinded by your bribe. That's the idea behind it. And then it goes on. The Malol Omer says even more so, right? We don't believe you have this land. We don't have anything like that. Yalkut Gershuni brings up more to this idea. And it's a really crazy idea. Dustin and Aviram were the only people in Klau Yisrael right now that were not wealthy. Why? There's a famous medrash. And I've done this years ago, but I don't know if everybody here knows it. That Krias Yamsuf, you know how there were 12 splits, one for every Shevet? Question whether it was a cross or whether whatever it was, but there are 12 splits, every Shevet had one. The Be'er Mayim Chaim says there were actually 13 splits. Who was the 13th for? Dasan and Aviram. Why? Because there's a Targum Yonas in New Zeal that Paro said, Omar Paro Libnei Yisrael. Paro said, and the way it's translated by everybody is about Bnei Yisrael, Nebuchim Heim Ba'aretz. They're confused. Sagar Vibor. They don't know how to get out of the desert. According to Targum Yonasan, Omar Paro Libnei Yisrael, he was talking to Dustin and Aviram. Dustin and Aviram didn't leave. They didn't leave Mitzrayim. When all the Jews left and everybody made a big deal out of it, a big, everything was going on, Dustin and Aviram stayed in Mitzrayim with Paro to the point where everybody asked, why weren't they killed in Choshech if they didn't want to leave? But they stayed with Paro, right? And after everything happened and Paro's men were all destroyed in the Yamsuf, they wanted to join Klal Yisrael. So they got their own Krias Yamsuf. And they crossed the Yamsuf on their own, totally separate from Bnei Yisrael. They got a 13th split. There's a bunch of different Tukim for it. It's a crazy Beramayim Chaim, but that's what ended up happening. Says the Alkadir Gershuni. That means they weren't there when the people left. What did the people do when they left Mitzrayim? They borrowed money. They took all the money from the Mitzrayim. Dawson Aviram didn't do it. What happened on the banks of the sea by the Yamsuf after the Mitzrayim were destroyed? There was wealth. Riches. They took all the riches, all the wealth from the banks and they kept it for themselves. Dust and Viram weren't there. They were the only two people in Klai Yisrael who were poor. Says the Alkadir Gershuni, they assumed for sure Moshe Rabbeinu is offering us money. So they resented themselves. They resented what? I, I think that was part of it. They resented that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to give them money in order to agree with his position. And they said, absolutely not. We're not taking it. We won't do it. That's the idea behind it. They felt that this is a holy rebellion. We're doing this l'shem shamayim, they thought. And therefore, we have nothing to do with this. We're not doing anything whatsoever. It could be they were even wealthy at one point. The Psikta Rabasi says that they called the land, a land, the land of Mitzrayim, a land flowing with milk and honey. Because they were r- rich there, but then they became poor. That's what the Gemara Nadarim says, that all of your enemies have died. That was Dustin Aviram. They really became poor. Either way, regardless, there's so much behind it and everything like that. And that's exactly why Moshe Rabbeinu responded. I never took a donkey away from them. I never would re- I never would have bribed them. I never would have often or offered a bribe. I never took a bribe myself. It's not like I would give that over to somebody else. 
Rabbi Yonis and Eipschitz gives five other explanations as to how we can understand He says the final one is, right, we know you want to make us into leaders, similar to what we just said over there. But that would refrain us from getting Ruach HaKodesh, they say, because Chazal say, that if you work for the Tzibor, then they lose everything. That's what Yoshua said regarding Eldon and Medad. Regardless, that's what they said about themselves. We would be blind from seeing holy things. We're not going to take a position of power to make us blind, lo na'let. We're not going to do that. Again, not about Eretz Yisrael. And finally comes my last one, and I, again, it's one. Of, it's my favorite one. Even though I don't think it fits very well in the Pesukim, it is my favorite one. Throughout the Gemara, it's, it appears six different times in Shas, in Bavli, where it says, Nasan Bo'enov, he put his eyes upon the guy, one of the Tanoim, one of the great Tanoim. Nasan Bo'enov put his eyes upon the guy, the Aso Gal Shalat Samos. And he turned him into a pile of bones. Now, how does that happen? I've tried it many, many times, and so far, unsuccessfully, right? But what you're supposed to do is, is that somebody who's in a tremendous tzaddik, it might be why, right, looks at a person who's a very big Russia, he's able to pull out the Kedusha from them. Literally, like almost like sucking out the Kedusha from those people with his eyes. And take it on for himself. And when the person is lost, he has no Kiddusha left, he literally becomes a pile of bones. It's like all of his lachus, all of his moisture, everything good about him has been taken away, and he's left with absolutely nothing. That is the Galshalatzamos. Everyone needs sparks of Kedusha to live. You need some type of Kedusha. Once it's gone, you're gone. There's nothing there. That's the idea. The Miraglim claimed that the people in Eretz Canaan were very powerful people, very strong, giants, right? Sheshai, Achiman, and Talmai were the sons of the Anak of Arba, who may have been Ephron, right? That's how great they were and how powerful they were. Maybe the only way we're going to defeat them is by Moshe Rabbeinu looking at them. And what will Moshe Rabbeinu do when he looks at them? Pull out their Kedusha, take away everything from them, and turn them into a Gal Shalat Even if, even if you blind them, meaning take away all their kedusha with your eyes, lo we're still not going to Eretz Yisrael, even though they'll all be dead as a pile of bones right there. And that's what got Moshe Rabbeinu so upset. He's like, you're you're not willing to go in even then, right? That is by far the least shot oriented idea of these 12, 13 answers that I have over here. Did I say twelve or thirteen? Did I really say? 12? I think it's a twelve, right? Yeah, I think I added one of them at some point. That's why it's 13 altogether. But either way, regardless. All right, we already did the Chafetz Chaim, right? There is a really, really interesting halacha that comes from our Gemara. It's on the bottom of page three Mo- from this uh, from this passage. Moed Kutten, Tez Zayim and Aleph says, even though you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara and tell someone what the other person said about them, a Shliach Beisdin is allowed to go back and tell Beisdin what the person said. If Basin invites Plony to come to court, and they say, Plony, you have to come to court, it's not Basin who goes and tells them, right? Who goes? They send a shliach. The shliach goes, says, hey, Plony, you, are, you have to come to Basin on such and such a date. Whatever he answers, that shliach is allowed to tell Basin, and it's not considered Lashon Hara. How do we know that? Well, what happened here? Did Moshe go to Dustin Mavira? No. What did he do? He sent a shliach. So how did Moshe Rabbeinu know what they said? 
How did Moshe Benin know that they said, How would he know that? It must be that the Shliach told him. The Shliach told him what they said. Why isn't that Lashon Hara? Must be that a Shliach based in that comes back is allowed to say exactly what the person said, even if it looks bad. Okay, that's a Gemara. That's a straight-out Gemara. Nothing over here is an extra parish or anything. It's just a straight-out Gemara that that's the idea behind it. The Maria Sad says on that Gemara that we hold, and he says, Mogen Avram Orachayim Simen Kufnun Vav, says that one is allowed to speak Lashon Hara about Bale Machlokas. If there's an argument, if there are people arguing, and the person is not just in an argument, he argues everywhere, with everyone, about all things. He will argue about anything at any time. You're allowed to speak Lashon Hara about him. That's what the Maria Sad says. So he says, wait a second. How does the Gemara prove that the Shluchim of a Beisdin are allowed to go back and tell the Beisdin what the guy said if maybe the only reason why they did it here is because they were Bale Machlokes? Maybe that's the reason why. Right? Maybe that's the reason why they're going to be... And there's another question, he says. The words of are technically not Lashon Hara. What, what are they saying that would have been Lashon Hara? The words they, they said before this were Lashon Hara. What did they say before this? Hama'at kelisonu. How could you have brought us up? Ki istorer, You tried ruling over us. That's Lashon Hara. That they said bad things about Moshe Rabbeinu. But the words of Ha'ene on Hashimahim Tenaker, even if you blind our eyes, we're not going up. How is that Lashon Hara? What's the Lashon Hara in all that? Okay, there's a third question. The Gemara learns from here that a Shliach is allowed to tell Basin if the guy made fun of them. But here, the guy, it's not about the Shliach Basin being made fun of. The guy made fun of the Basin. That's a different din. The Gemara is talking about if the Shliach Basin took it hard in the face. Like the guy, Plony, just punched him in the face. And the guy's allowed to come back and say, Plony punched me in the face. But if Plony talked about Basin, who says that the Shliach is allowed to tell Basin what that guy just did? Where's the hatter for that? That's not what the Gemara is talking about. So he asks all those questions over there. Now, it's funny, because he doesn't really answer it. He goes on and he says, the men reported back exactly what they said, and a Shliach is allowed to, and referred to themselves as Anashim Ahim, that they were being threatened. You know how we said how any Anashim Ahim is either Korach, or Dustin Aviram, or Moshe Rabbeinu, or HaKadosh Baruch, or the Zikainim, or whatever it is, it's, Dustin Aviram said, even if we blind, even if we have to fight you, and punch you in the face, we will not go up. That's what they actually said, and therefore, we learn from these psukim the opposite of what the Gemara seems to learn from. That's the Maria Sad. But the Torah Tamima says something very, very different. He's like, I don't understand. How could you learn this from the Gemara? Aren't there so many Gemaras where the Gemara tells us what the person, what the Pasuk was thinking, what the person was thinking, without us knowing about it? For example, we know what Haman was thinking, right? When he was walking back, right, to try to kill the Jews. How would Mordechai and Esther have known that? It must be through Ruach HaKodesh. How do we know what Paro was thinking in the palace? How do we know that his heart was actually hardened? We could see certain things, but how do we know? Because the Torah tells us. Hashem knows that. So how is this Pasuk a proof that you're allowed to go ahead and say what another person said? Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu just knew it through Ruach HaKodesh, what they actually said, without the Shlach Basin telling them. He never answers any questions of those. I, 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 it's a very, very strange thing altogether. Um,
Rabbeinu Bechaya says, their own words were a bit of an avua. They said, Lo nale, we will never go up. What was their punishment? Does anybody remember? Dust and Aviram and their families? Swallowed. Swallowed up in the ground and they never came up again. The words Lo nale were prophetic. Dust and Aviram said it about themselves. We will never get up. And HaKadosh Baruch was like, right, <laughs> that's exactly it. B'nai Korach were able to come up at some point, but not Dustin and Aviram. Dustin and Aviram lost it forever, and maybe they even caused their own death by the wording that I said over here. The Meshachachma says, Ak lo'al eretz yosanu, lanu nachlas It is super interesting. What Shevet were Dustin and Aviram from? Does anybody remember Shevet? Ruvay. Sheva Ruvain. Where did Sheva Ruvain get their Nachala? Where? Louder. Where was Ruvain? Were they in Eretz Yisrael? Aver Ayardain. So listen to what they said. You're not going to bring us to Eretz Zavaschal Vidavash, into the land flowing with milk and honey. Instead, you're going to give us Nachala Sadevakarim. You're going to give us grazing land for all of our sheep and goats. That is literally exactly what happened. B'nai Ruvain and B'nai Gad and half of Menashe got their land outside of Eretz Yisrael. These guys, I know we make fun of them. I know Dustin and Aviram sound like a bunch of fools. I know that they acted idiotic. But at the end of the day, they may have been prophets, small-time prophets, Ruach HaKodesh prophets, but they had two lines over here, Lo Nala, we're not coming back up, and they were right. That's the Nakhla that we're going to get, and they were right. That's crazy. It's crazy to think about that technically everything they said was exactly what a Kaddish Baruch was going to give them in the end of the day. That is an unbelievable thing to think about. All right, guys, we'll stop here. Have a great Shabbos.